AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com. And with the KDUS 1060 app, we've made it to a Thursday, February 22nd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today. As we're doing this week, Thursday and Friday for the remainder of the week. Uh, let's set the scene, though, with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started here with the KDOS1060.com poll question. But a reminder, if you missed any of the in-depth NBA conversation with Mo Dekeel of The Athletic, you can always podcast it over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. Here's the question. Are the Suns 2024 NBA title contenders? No is leading the way at 45% of the vote. Yes is trailing at 36%. And I uh, asked Mo this question, so if you missed it, you can podcast away on that. And uh, be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, these next few, you know, roughly, boy, they, they played 55 games, so you can all do the math. They play 82 uh, in the regular season. Uh, the Suns in the next 24 hours could go from the fifth seed to the eighth seed, the Western Conference, because the, those five through eight seeds are so bunched up. Yeah, and we'll get into a little bit more about that here momentarily. Uh, but pertaining to the poll question, we answer it around 1230 today. Uh, if you would like to chime in, you feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls around 1130 and 1215. Tossing it on over to the X poll question. Do the Celtics end their recently elusive NBA championship dry spell this season? No leading the way at 77.8%. Yes, trailing at 22 point two percent of the vote so what qualifies as elusive well the Celtics haven't won the championship since 2008 they've reached the finals one time since 2010 that was in 2022 and remember that year they lost the last three games and got eliminated in the six game series in the finals by the Warriors that was a fun series it was, yes. That was the Clay, maybe Clay Thompson's final hurrah <laughs> as a <laughs> as a high end, high level NBA player. Even though he can still score some, but yeah, unfortunately, all the leg injuries. He just uh, your defense. It was a, you know, he had a lot to do with him winning championships because of his defense. Uh, and unfortunately, now he just really can't guard anybody. Uh, we'll answer that question as well around 12.30 today. If you'd like to chime in on it, feel free to do so. Phone calls 602-260-1060. We'll do that around 11.30 and 12.15. As I mentioned, uh, getting into the Phoenix Suns a little bit more, they are back on the court following the All-Star break tonight. It's a 5.30 start in Dallas on TNT against the Mavericks here. 27 games remain for the Suns, and they do actually have some challenges opponents left ahead uh, in this 27 game slate so they have Dallas tonight which is always uh, yep. interesting when these two teams tangle then they have Houston three times in the span of four games they have the Lakers once more 
Oklahoma City twice, the Celtics twice, the Nuggets twice, Cleveland twice, Milwaukee one more time, New Orleans twice more, Minnesota twice more, and the L.A. Clippers twice in a back-to-back April 9th and 10th, which is almost at the end of the season here. And when you're talking about things being bunched up in the NBA West, just quickly here, the Timberwolves are out in front at 39-16, and 16, the Thunder at 37-17, and 17, the Clippers at 36-17, and 17, the Nuggets at 36-19, and 19, then the Suns there hanging on to that fifth spot. 33 and 22 the pelicans 33 and 22 the mavs 32 and 23 the kings 31 and 23 the lakers 30 and 26 and the warriors 26 and 27 with a lot of these opponents still left to go things can really uh get dicey here well the suns according to the uh mathematics uh they have the toughest schedule remaining in the nba and apparently it's not even close uh, according to NBA TV or t- NBA, what do they call that show on ESPN? NBA Today or whatever they call it, uh, that's on at like one o'clock our time now. Uh, that uh, I was watching that show yesterday, and they said it's not even close. They have the toughest remaining schedule. Yeah, I think it actually you can break this down a little easier, at least in my opinion. Yeah, one through four. You know, they they might change some one through four, but I think there's three clear tiers here. One through four, it seems highly unlikely that the Nuggets are going to fall below number four. Then five through eight, and as I just mentioned, the Suns are fifth today. They could be eighth by the end of tomorrow night. And then nine and ten, uh, the Warriors and the Lakers with their hot streaks to end the, before the All-Star break have pretty much uh, you know, separated themselves from everybody else. So I think you can just kind of uh, – that's kind of the way – at least that's the way I break it down now. Well – also, interestingly enough here, so what does Vegas think in terms of to make the play-in tournament? Uh, you have the Lakers at minus 700, the Warriors at minus 650, then the Kings at minus 220, the Mavs at minus 180, the Suns at minus 115, and the Pelicans at plus 105. I don't know if that has any, I know it doesn't have any interest to you particularly, but just mentioning it here, if you think that this tough schedule ahead is going to force the Suns to slide down uh sun's minus 115 there to be in the play-in round of things yeah well i think it's highly likely they're going to be in the play-in round just based on their schedule i mean you know play-in round is you know you know basically you know seven eight nine and ten and uh considering their remaining schedule i think it's highly unlikely that the suns are going to finish you know five or six I, i i don't i would be really surprised if uh they played well enough to avoid, you know, to avoid being in the playoff play-in tournament at this point. They've got a really difficult schedule, and some of those games they blew against teams that they should have beaten earlier in the season could come back and bite them in the butt. Uh, also along those lines here, we mentioned that the Suns are sitting at 33 and 22. There's 27 games remaining, the tough schedule ahead. Their win total right now as of this morning was over 48 and a half at plus 110, under 48 and a half at minus 134. Yeah, I don't have any idea how they calculate those things, so I'm the wrong person to ask about that entirely, but uh yeah, it's uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunately the Suns have the most blown losses in the NBA when leading after the third quarter, and those also are things that can come by and come back and bite them if they end up in the uh, in the play-in tournament.
Certainly uh, getting better at fourth quarters uh, is essential if they have aspirations there to be a true playoff contending team. Uh, and, and you always talk about it, the clutch factor. Uh, that certainly needs to kind of round into form here uh, heading into this stretch run. Yeah, but I think it just goes back to what we talked about for months now, and I'm not joking, months since really this roster was formulated in July for the most part or, you know, basically rounded out in July, and they just kind of, you know, basically signed whoever they could find off the street that had a pulse uh, to fill their bench, and their bench has been a big reason why they've sucked in the fourth quarter. Uh, Their lack of a point guard has been a big reason. Their turnovers have been a massive reason. The lack of rebounding has been a big reason. But the biggest reason, something that I think almost everybody is willing to admit, even if they're the most hardcore Suns fan, they're horrible defensively in the fourth quarter. And I know that as of like two weeks ago, and I doubt if this has changed because there's a lot of numbers involved this far into the season, they were the worst fourth quarter defensive team in the entire NBA, good teams or bad teams. Uh, let's talk about Bradley Beal. He's listed as questionable with left hamstring tightness. Uh, that sustained itself there in the second to last game before the All-Star break. He sat out that final game before the All-Star break. Also, he has had the procedure done on his fractured nose over the All-Star break. So he went ahead and and had that procedure done. Now they're still uh, just kind of waiting here for the left hamstring to cooperate and put all of the pieces together here for the 27 games remaining for the Suns in the regular season. Well, you know, not that I'm a physician or anything close to that, but you know, considering his injury history, which is extensive at this point now, going all the way back to the last decade, uh, I would make sure as much as you possibly could that he doesn't come back too soon. Just if you're curious here where things stand ahead of the stretch run, the NBA West Conference winners, the Nuggets at plus 220, the Clippers plus 220, the Timberwolves plus 800, Oklahoma City plus 850, the Suns plus 850, and the Mavericks 14 to 1. Over in the East here, you still have the Celtics out in front, 43 and 12. Then the Cavs have surged to second in the East at 36 and 17. The Bucks trying to figure things out. Doc Rivers now obviously been in play for quite for at least a couple of weeks as their new head coach, 35 and 21. The Knicks, 33 and 22. Uh, they got to get some players back and healthy. OG and Anubi is still out, but some other players are returning healthy for them. Julius Randle still out. Out as well 76ers 32 and 22 Pacers 31 and 25 the heat in seventh there at 30 and 25 and the magic at 30 and 25 then you have the bulls at 26 and 29 and the hawks at 24 and 31 anything stand out to you over in the east no other than the fact that the conference sucks other than one team um you mentioned the knicks i mean you know their second and third best players are hurt right now so we'll see if they when they come back uh, yeah, as far as the playoff odds go, I know you understand this, Caleb, but I think a lot of the general public doesn't understand it. You know, the playoff odds are that also factors factors in how much handle they've taken on these teams for months. You know, the Suns are anchor. You know, they at one time I know that they were the second favorite to win the NBA championship, uh, and they they've got to factor that into their you know their 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 you know, basically their handle process and 
How much might they lose if they get you know oversaturated with one team? It's not the they're that's not those are not odds probability to actually make the you know to win the West or win the championship or whatever. There's all kinds of other factors, including you know handle for literally almost a calendar year at this point. You know basically last July, you know July 1st or shortly after the NBA Finals. Some places take like. You know, you know, future bets the next day after the uh, NBA Finals are concern, uh, you know, concluded, I should say. Uh, so the, those things factor in, and they're a huge factor in. So it's not probability odds. It's you know, basically how much can they, in some places, depending on whether you know, some places are a little, a little more apt to take a, you know, take a chance or you know, bet on themselves as a sports book than they are, uh, you know, some other places. So there's a lot of things involved there. Those are not probability odds, however. You are correct there. Uh, rounding out what the East situation, though, is heading into the stretch one run, the Celtics at plus 110, the Bucks at plus 310, the Knicks at plus 650, the Cavs plus 800, and then the Heat at 14 to one it, it to me it's always just kind of curious because uh, I, th- I think you bring up a great point here not probability odds but interestingly enough to see how things have shaken out with what people and like huge money coming in before the season even gets started uh if a team kind of jumps out to to a large and good start if there's any increase in money on them and then how injuries trade deadline all of that kind of factors in and how it all how it all unfolds just to kind of see like a little bit of a, a reset uh, before the the stretch run occurs as to how things are shaping up. Uh, but really, for me, looking at all of these numbers, nothing jumps out as, oh, that's a great number that we should hop on. The, the one thing that jumps out to me is that those numbers obviously factored in all the money they took on the bucks as soon as the Lillard trade was made. Yes. I mean, there's there's no way in hell that anybody would have the bucks that much of a low number to win the NBA championship just based on what they think is going to happen the rest of the season. So that thing factors into me for sure there. Um, so that's uh, – yeah, that's I've never I don't think I I don't remember ever betting an NBA future during a season before uh, and, and for rarely before a season's begun. I used to bet some over under totals, but that's before load management became a popular thing. You didn't know who the hell was playing from game to game. Yeah, uh, I think it was the first year that it all became legal here. I definitely took some some win totals, and that that became my team, the Pelicans. Uh, <laughs> Sun Sun's over for me that one year. I yeah. mean, that was easy money. Yes, it was. So. But the year now, they won 66 games, we had the over like 49 or 50 or some crazy number like that. Yeah, it was very low. That was also an easy cash. But I think to your point, it's so hard now to figure out who's sitting out, who's playing, who's not. Um, it, it makes it really challenging to get on board with those win totals. Yeah, and you don't know till 90 minutes before the game. Not always even then. I mean, you know, I forgot who it was. But the last you know few days before the – uh, the the shutdown for the All-Star game, uh, one of the best players in the league got, got scratched literally in the pregame uh, after he was supposed to play. So uh, betting on the NBA is a uh, something I don't do uh, almost ever uh, in the regular season. Postseason, that's a different story. But regular season, 
who knows what's going to happen. And, you know, a game, it's almost in-game betting or nothing uh, as far as the NBA goes. You got to know who's actually playing in the game after it actually starts. On the other side of the break, we'll get into the biggest offseason needs for all 32 NFL teams. We'll do that next here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDOS AM 1060. Eleven twenty-three here on this Thursday, February 22nd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Diving into the NFL offseason and biggest offseason needs for all 32 teams. We'll start here with the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, defensive line is what comes here from the athletic uh, the Cardinals, though, I think it's fair to say that they need playmakers at the wide receiver position. They also need to try to find a corner. Uh, they also need an edge rusher. Uh, so there was plenty of depth and plenty of positions that can be filled here. But uh, the sentiment behind this is that if you get yourself an edge rusher to get pressure without blitzing, that kind of helps fall in line some of the other holes on the defensive side of the ball. I think they actually need at least two edge rushers. I don't think they had anybody last year that it really deserves to return this year. Uh, and they need two corners, uh, which also we've been staying for many years. Um, so I mean, the, basically other than, you know, other than the two safety spots, uh, I think you can make a case that almost every starter on the defense last year, they can upgrade in those areas. They didn't have any corners that were any good by the end of the season. They didn't have any pass rushers that were any good at the end of the season. Uh, a couple of defensive linemen that showed some promise were injured during the season. Uh, so, you know, their defense, uh, it was the least talented defense, and I don't even think there's any argument about this league-wide. They had the least amount of talent on their defense at the end of the season than any team in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, for a list purpose and you have to pick something, uh, you really – could have probably put any of the things that you mentioned and there wouldn't be any argument or pushback either way. Uh, when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons here, biggest offseason need comes down to quarterback. You had Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke throwing 17 picks between the two of them. You also had fumble problems for Ritter as he lost 12 of them throughout the season here. Now, my question is, have we seen enough from the Falcons here to say that they really are just a quarterback away from, uh, you know, contending to win the division, for making the playoffs, for being uh, what we would consider a contending team in the NFL? Are they just a quarterback away? Total, to, two different answers. I think they could certainly win the division because how hard is it to win the division? Uh, not very. Uh, Ritter's horrible. Uh, he should not be starting any games in the NFL. He's strictly a backup quarterback, maybe even a third quarterback on some teams. He's not any good. Uh, the Justin Fields thing makes too, too much sense here. Uh, you know, he's from Georgia. You know, he went to the University of Georgia for a year, which I think a lot of people forget because he then transferred to Ohio State after the one year where he played 
occasionally at Georgia, more of a you know basically a third down runner than he was doing anything else. That's why he left. Uh, but it makes way too much sense for that. Also, I would say one other thing though is you know I'm certainly not a fan of Ritter and was not a fan and couldn't believe that he was drafted as highly as he was when he left Cincinnati. But their offensive line, which was supposed to be at least decent last year, was not. Uh, I'm just also really curious to see what Raheem Morris is going to be able to do and how 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 that new coaching staff is going to be able to unlock the potential on offense if they do find themselves a quarterback here to unlock Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier, uh, the different wide receivers that they have. I also had heard potentially a connection with Calvin Ridley going back to Atlanta. Uh, so to, to really unlock that potential that that group can have. Well, I've heard this Calvin Ridley thing mentioned for several teams. Did people not have film in the NFL last year? He dropped a ton of passes. Uh, was not good uh, for a lot of this. He had some monster games, but you know, you know, basically, you know, over the course of the season, I predict that he would rate below average in most games last year. Moving to the Baltimore Ravens here, the biggest offseason need for them, offensive line. Kevin Zietler and John Simpson are the Ravens' guards, but they're unrestricted free agents this offseason. Then you also have Ronnie Stanley and Morgan Moses. They're 29 and 32. They've come off injuries this season. Ronnie Stanley, uh, he's oft injured as well. So shoring up that offensive line and figuring out what you want, what direction you want to go with your unrestricted free agents as well. I think that's all accurate. They've got a whole bunch of free agents on defense, though, too. And obviously, defense was their, their staple last year. I know Lamar is going to win the MVP, or has he already won the MVP? I guess he already, he already won, won the won MVP, it. huh? Okay, well, somehow I missed that, shockingly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but really, they won games because of their defense last year, and they got a whole bunch of dudes whose contracts are up. Uh, yeah, they do. The defensive side of the ball, you mentioned it. Uh, it'll be very curious to see if like a, a Justin Matabuke has outpriced himself for returning to the Ravens. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Mike McDonald wants to try to get any of the unrestricted free agents to come play for him in Seattle. Uh, so certainly yeah. there's a lot going on on the defensive side of the ball as well. I think Matabuke, they're just going to franchise tag him. That seems to be the uh, almost a unanimous, if it's not unanimous, uh, you know, belief in the last couple of days in this franchise tag week that we're in. Everybody seems to think that he's just going to be franchise tagged. Number four, the Buffalo Bills, their biggest offseason need, wide receiver. Uh, the question, will Stephon Diggs be back? If he isn't no. back, <laughs> if he isn't back, uh, finding an explosive wide receiver that can fill his void. If he is back, to find an explosive wide receiver that uh, kind of opens things up for Stephon Diggs here because a lot of those routes ended up being really underneath for the Buffalo Bills this season here. Uh, so that's kind of – and plus, isn't Gabe Davis also an unrestricted free agent as well? So there's some options there, uh, directions that they're going to need to go at wide receiver. I think the biggest question is, Diggs any good anymore? Uh, one of the reasons that he didn't have yards and didn't have, you know, you know air yards, downfield targets, et cetera, is, that, is he any good anymore? And I think that's a legitimate question at this point. 
For the Carolina Panthers, uh, you know, you could probably question that they have a lot of needs here, too, but they're zeroing in on the wide receiver position. DJ Chark ranked bottom 10 in the league in average separation and catch percentage. You also had Adam Thielen, who's uh, in his 30s. He can't be your number one option here. So will wide receivers that get on this team get separation? Will that in turn help Bryce Young? Well, they also need about five offensive linemen. Uh, yeah, I purposely mentioned the Cardinals had the worst defensive talent in the league last year by the end of the year. And I said, yeah, I specifically mentioned defense because I think the Carolina Panthers had the worst offensive talent at the end of last season. And pretty much almost anybody in that offense you could replace and do better. Almost every position. Don't disagree with that. Uh, six here, the Chicago Bears. For them, they have pointed to edge rusher. Needing someone opposite of Montez Sweat, the Bears ranked last in the league in sacks per pass, and no other defensive player had more than four sacks besides Sweat. I think it was uh, a pretty crazy statistic that uh, when he was with the Commanders, he led the Commanders in sacks, and then when he was with the Bears, he led the Bears in sacks. Uh, so he led two different teams in their sack totals for the season. Yeah, even though I, I get that, but, you know, they're going to lose their top corner, Johnson, to free agency likely. Eddie Jackson, who's been there forever as a safety, those guys aren't coming back, it appears. So I maybe would lean towards defensive backfield more than I would pass rush. The Cincinnati Bengals next up here. Defensive tackle. Trey Hendrickson had 17 and a half sacks and 79 pressures. Then Sam Hubbard had six sacks. But if you lose DJ Reader in free agency, needing to have some better pressure up the middle to complement the edges. Yeah, even though you can make a case they really haven't had DJ Reader for a lot of the last two seasons, right? Because he's missed, I'm guessing he's missed more games than he's played. Yeah, and you know what? I also think that there's going to be some questions on the offensive side of the ball because what are you going to do? Are you losing T. Higgins? Are you going to pay uh, other wide receivers to be on the team? So I think there's there's plenty of questions as well for the Bengals. And they've got salary cap concerns looking ahead. Obviously, they've already played pay Burrow. If you pay Higgins, how much can you pay Jamar Chase, who's like a free agent, if I'm not mistaken, next year? where uh, he's up for a contract next year, one of those two. Uh, they've, they've got, and this is an organization that's been not known to spend money uh, forever. Uh, so this is a, you know, they, they've got some ser serious questions financially as how they want to go about this, not just this offseason, but in future years. Number eight, the Cleveland Browns identified here as the wide receiver position. The Browns need more speed at wide receiver. Obviously, you feel good about Amari Cooper and uh, the emergence of David Njoku from the tight end position. But who else do you have that can be consistent, assuming it's going to be Deshaun Watson when he returns for next season? Yeah, well, they don't have any choice. He's got to be their quarterback because they're paying him insane money and some of it's guaranteed and that, uh, that might go down as uh, one of the worst contracts in the history of the league, not exaggerating. And to be more conservative, I think it's safe to say it's uh, the worst contract that's been signed in the NFL in the last two or three years, without an argument. Number, yeah, definitely. Um, number nine, the Cowboys here. I think 
Well, it's interesting for a team that had so much promise heading into the year and different positions that you said, hey, uh, you know, this is their chance. This is their moment. They now have a lot of questions moving forward. So I think you could go in a couple of different directions here. One being running back, um, yep. also being defensive tackle and kind of being undersized. But what they're identifying here is the linebacker position. Questions surrounding Leighton Vander Esch's health and his future at the position. Uh, then you also had drafted Overshown, but he hasn't played in the NFL just yet because of injury so addressing that linebacker position well they had like a 210 pound linebacker uh last year i'm not joking i mean you know god bless him he tried but uh he got overpowered and that obviously was an issue uh you know the running back situation this is a thing i was completely right about last year they completely mismanaged that a lot of derrick henry speculation uh that he will end up with the cowboys Number 10 on this list, the Denver Broncos quarterback, Russell Wilson, 11-19 and 19 as a starter with the Broncos. If they move on from him, though, it's going to be an $85 million hit in dead money. So the question here is how are they going to identify their next quarterback? Where will they turn? It does look like he's not coming back. There's no chance he's coming back. Well, I shouldn't ever say no chance. It's highly unlikely that he's going to come back and uh, – yeah, I know Pittsburgh's number one in the betting odds is where he's you know, Russell Wilson's going to land. I saw that yesterday, uh, that uh, the number one in the odds board uh, for Russell Wilson's next team. Uh, Mike Tomlin has talked highly of Wilson over the years, not in a tampering mood, but it's when they played Seattle, uh, especially a couple times, I recall. Uh, you know, talked about that. So, uh, yeah, he's not going to be there. They have the 12th pick of the draft and a lot of mock drafts. I shouldn't say a lot. I know at least a couple of mock drafts because I don't look more than a couple of them until we get to like April. Uh, have them taking J.J. McCarthy with uh, their draft pick. I've seen that as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see as we transition conversation throughout the next couple of months into how many quarterbacks end up going in the first round. Uh, more, and, more than you, the more than they should. But that—that's the case almost every year, except for the Kenny Pickett year when there was nobody was any good, and neither is Kenny Pickett, as it turns out, which we knew at the time actually, but the Steelers didn't know that. On the other side of the break, we'll continue the NFL biggest needs for all 32 teams with the Detroit Lions. So we'll start with them on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app, it is the extra point. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. right here on this Thursday, February 22nd. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, continuing the biggest offseason needs for all 32 teams. And we left off here with the Detroit Lions. For them, it's cornerback. 
Uh, Detroit allowed 7.4 yards per attempt, which was the third worst in the NFL. Um, and there should be plenty of options available for them here. I know that they had some injuries as well in the offseason that kind of limited their corner depth. Uh, so getting a few of those guys back and healthy uh, will certainly help. But also uh, definitely getting somebody in the offseason will improve that secondary. Agreed. Uh, I think this is the one area that they have to do something. I don't even think they were that good when they were all healthy, quite frankly. Uh, number 12 here is the Green Bay Packers. It has been identified as safety because Darnell Savage Jr., Jonathan Owens, and Rudy Ford are all unrestricted free agents. Also factoring in here, new defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley at the helm. So how is he going to tweak the defense? What kind of style of defense are they going to play? Uh, so will some of these safeties or will they need to go find some safeties that are going to fit into the scheme? And Halfley, in his NFL days, before he became the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, was uh, in the NFL as a defensive backs coach. And that was his specialty when he was at Ohio State. And he was you know, part of the you know, uh, uh, several coaches that have come and gone. Uh, and it continued. Uh, they, they, with the exception of a couple years, they've never had a problem finding corners. They've had a lot of great corners at Ohio State over the years. And he was part of that. The Texans, they've identified cornerback here. 234.1 yards per game allowed through the air and just 14 interceptions as a group. You have Derek Stingley Jr. that led the way with five interceptions. When healthy, he's shown uh, what he can yeah. do. So finding someone that can play opposite him or even in the slot. They got to get him to be healthy. You said when healthy, that might be the, the biggest thing for them about anybody on their roster. He's a really good player, elite player when he's healthy, but that has not been often. I would actually maybe try to make an argument for offensive line here, uh, which seemed to be a strength at the start of the season. Uh, rarely healthy during the season, and when they were healthy, they seemed to underachieve. I could, I could buy that. Um, the Colts here also in need of cornerback. A lot of injuries for them at the corner position, plus Kenny Moore the second is the most experienced corner they have, and he's set to be a free agent. Yeah, a lot of these, uh, not surprisingly, a lot of corners uh, being you know centered in on here. Almost every team needs a corner, I guess, at least one. And I got to understand that because we have more three and four wide receiver sets than we've ever seen in the NFL. Now, uh, 15 here is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and for them, identifying interior offensive line. It's been 0.94 yards before contact per rush for their, uh, their, their running backs this season. It's 3.6 yards per attempt, which ranks 30th in the league. They are 30th in rushing success rate. So certainly not getting that push that you need uh, to help your running backs. Brandon Scherf as well is probably the most expensive offensive lineman that they have. And based upon some salary cap situations, he could potentially be a veteran cut. And I don't know, was he any good last year? I don't think he was great. But uh, uh, also, you know, I'm not disputing the offensive line thing. I think that's inarguable. But uh, ATN, is, is he any good? Other than just a – he's certainly not an every down back, in my opinion. I think that's a fair question to ask. Um, and I think it was it's actually been a question that's been asked the last couple of years. Correct. Uh, so, I think he's a you know, he's really good pass catcher. 
uh, and good in space. But, you know, even if they had a really good offensive line, would he be any good between the tackles? I'm thinking not. The Kansas City Chiefs, you can probably guess where we're going here, reliable wide receivers. Uh, Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice, they separated themselves. Who else is going to step up? I don't disagree with that, but if they lose Chris Jones, this immediately should change the pass rusher, whether it's an interior lineman or an outside guy. 100%. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, for them identifying as quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, he did okay as a rookie, but uh, I think he's best suited in a backup position. And then also for them, they have some questions here. How are they going to get their quarterback? If they're they're picking 13th in the draft, is there going to be a quarterback that they want still there, or do they need to address it somehow in free agency? Uh, I would say free agency because I don't know how they're going to be able to trade up and get one of the top guys. Um, so we'll see what's up with that. I mean, maybe if McCarthy fall, fell to, you know, 13, you said, is that they've taken 13? 13. Um, then maybe, you know, it looks like you know, a lot of people think, seem to think he's going to Denver at 12, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. But, uh, it's, uh, they won too many damn games after they, you know, got Antonio Pierce. They would have been better off if they tanked and just lost more games. The Chargers, for them here... Now, this to me actually is probably like an incomplete answer because their salary cap situation and what Jim Harbaugh and uh, the new general manager are going to be doing there, I I think leaves us uh, wondering uh, how many positions are actually going to be of need uh, with potentially players leaving in in veteran cut situations. But what has been identified here is center because starting center Corey Lindsley said last month that he's 99% sure that he's going to be retiring due to heart-related medical issue there. Uh, So... He, he and I think in general the offensive line needs to be addressed. Oh, that's what I would have said immediately. Whatever you know, we we certainly have talked a lot about their cap situation when all that hardball stuff was going on before he officially got to the Chargers. They're they're a salary cap mess. Uh, they were incredibly overrated throughout the entire season. Um, I didn't fall into that trap. I fell into a few other traps, but not that one. They're just, they're just not very good. They don't have very many good players. And other than left tackle, you can make a case that their entire offensive line could be upgraded. The Los Angeles Rams, for them, pass rusher has been identified. Need an experienced outside rusher to complete the defensive front, which has uh, Aaron Donald, Kobe Turner, and Byron Young, who really stepped up. Actually, I thought their pass rush was really good. Uh, you know, they had, you know, you mentioned, you know, Turner and Young. Um, you know, they were part of the pass rushing brigade. Uh, in fact, I believe Young was like one of the top pass rushers in the, in the league as far as his position goes. I would say defensive back. Um, you know, I'm not sure they have anybody in the secondary uh, that can really cover on a regular basis. So, uh, to me, that's a far bigger area of need immediately than it is a pass rusher. I agree with you on that one. Uh, the Dolphins, offensive line, what's the status of Teron Armstead? Then you also have Connor Williams coming off of a torn ACL. Uh, so, certainly questions for them to address in free agency and then just in general depth of the offensive line when trying to protect Tua is an important thing. Uh, I agree with all that. So I'll just end it there. I think that's, uh, you know, you can make a case for a lot of things with the Dolphins who were, 
We uh, that's this is another team that I think I correctly identified early in the season when they scored a hundred points a game. I just never bought them bought them at any point, even when they were healthy. They just got, every time they played a physical team, they got shoved right off the field, offensively and defensively. For the Vikings, identified as quarterback, I find this situation now to be just really fascinating because it really seemed like at the beginning of all of this in the year. Kirk Cousins was going to be playing his final season with the Vikings. Then all of a sudden, maybe we've seen an experienced uh, Kirk Cousins won't be going anywhere. Now things are kind of starting to heat up a little bit that Kirk Cousins is going to go somewhere. But then you also have the Wolf family coming out and saying that they only pay big money for quarterbacks. So what's going to happen with Justin Jefferson? Uh, so I find all of this with Minnesota right now to be kind of uh, an offseason fascination. I agree. Uh, I think that's a good uh, you know, summary of the whole situation there. Uh, even though uh, this is another team that's been mentioned a lot with McCarthy as far as a draft pick goes, and that's with the assumption that Cousins stays and McCarthy does like a – I don't want to compare him to Patrick Mahomes because that would be so unfair. But you get the gist. He'd be kind of like uh, sitting behind Alex Smith for a year that Mahomes did, and then you know, the McCarthy would sit behind Cousins for a year and then step in. I could see that um does kirk want to do that though because right that's always been an interesting conversation you have where alex smith seemed to really embrace the role of of helping and providing some sort of guidance then you also had the ryan Tannehill uh version of it where i'm going out there and i'm gonna compete for my spot yeah well i don't think cousins would even think that he's going to be in minnesota more than another year uh so yeah and I don't know how. what are his options. I don't know how many teams actually want him. And nothing against him, but he's old and he's coming off an Achilles injury. Yeah. Well, you know, if we if we have time for it in hour number two, that's certainly something we can we can get into. If not, we'll get into it on Friday. But we'll continue on with this list here with the New England Patriots on the other side of the break. It is the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. Need social information about KDUS AM 1060? Try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. AM 1060 as always follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app We're going through the 32 teams and their off-season needs for the new england patriots is where we've left off uh identified here as quarterback but i could argue uh easily that you need offensive line help you need wide receiver production but yeah you don't have a starting nfl quarterback on your roster they don't, and I would be shocked, and I've said this for well, three years basically, I would be shocked if Mac Jones were ever a starting quarterback of any substance anywhere. He's just not good. The New Orleans Saints, identified here as tackle guard. Guys uh, weren't playing on the line in their positions, often during the season due to injuries. Left tackle of the future that they drafted just two years ago, Trevor Penning, was benched. Yeah, he's been terrible. Uh, you know, I mentioned I patted myself on the back in the last segment a couple of times uh, for teams I was right about. There was no team I was more wrong about last year than the Saints. 
And uh, subsequently, I'm certain that I lost more money on the Saints than any team in the NFL in 2023. 24, the New York Giants. uh, Offensive line here. You could go wide receiver as they need a true number one. But this offensive line allowed 85 sacks, which was the second most in NFL history. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. You could have like offensive line and wide wide receiver in this story for like five years running. I'm not exaggerating really by much, if at all. Uh, Those have been areas that they've been bad at for a long time. The Jets, they too, offensive line here, started 13 offensive line combinations in 17 games. Uh, They for sure need a couple of starting offensive linemen. They need better depth. And if Aaron Rodgers returning at 40 off of his Achilles injury, he's going to need protection. That would be very true. Um, This is uh, probably the easiest. I don't know know who wrote this story, but if I were writing this story, this would be the one that I would fill in immediately and not really have any concern to even go back and think about it. For the Eagles, number two cornerback here, uh, they they were fifth most in allowing explosive plays. James Bradbury was often in coverage on those plays in man-to-man situations. You also have Darius Slay at 32 years old. I would say center. If Kelsey's retiring, what are you going to do there? That's very true. For the Steelers, Reliable quarterback play. Can offensive coordinator Arthur Smith unlock Kenny Pickett, or is it time to find an alternative quarterback? Well, we've heard the Russell Wilson thing, and uh, Ryan Tannehill reunited with Arthur Smith certainly been mentioned frequently in the last few days. We'll finish up uh, the rest of these teams to start our number two, and then we'll get into the U of A in a big Pac-12 matchup against WSU tonight. So we'll do that to kickstart our number two. Coming up on the other side of the break, it is the Extra Point.